Welcome to Fearless Marketing for Life Coaches. I'm Simone Gray Soul, and I'm here to teach you how to get your life coaching practice fully booked without paying for ads, buying Instagram followers, or complicated sales funnels. It's not rocket science, and I promise you can do it too. Listen on to find out how. Hello, hello. Welcome to part numero dos, part two of how I created almost $400,000 in 12 months. I am answering questions from members of my Facebook group about how I did it. I hope that you had checked out the previous episode where I, I got, I basically got all the questions and divided them into two parts. And I answered the first half in the previous episode and I am answering the rest of them in today's episode. Here I go. First question I'm going to answer today is, when or how did you know a switch had been flipped in terms of your mindset? Okay, I love the way this question is phrased because it lets me know how you are thinking. (laughs) So a lot of people ask me, when does the switch flip? How did you flip the switch? And this is literally a metaphor that I teach my clients not to use. Here's why. When I wasn't signing that many clients, when I wasn't making that much money, when I wasn't having as much impact as I wanted, I also used to think that there was a magic magic switch that would be flipped. And once it's flipped, all of the clarity would happen, all of the confidence would happen, and I would know what to do. And if I didn't know what to do, I would figure it out and I wouldn't feel so horrible and confused all the time. (laughs) And because we spend so much of our time waiting for the magic switch to flip, we end up concluding that the reality that we're in right now is not good enough and that we are not good enough. And somehow we kind of put ourselves in the zone of waiting for that mysterious switch flip, and we're not taking action, we are grinding our wheels, we are resisting reality, and everything just feels like it's just not good enough, right? So needless to say, that is not a particularly empowering or useful place to be. And instead of thinking of mindset as a switch that you can flip on or off, I invite you to think of it like a gradient. A gradient like What if your mindset or your belief in yourself or your confidence, it's not either on or off, it's not a binary, but it's instead a scale from zero to 100. And nobody's at 100. I'm definitely not at 100. And I I can think of all of my mentors and coaches. I don't think they would say that they're at 100. And it's important for me to be a little bit pedantic right now and point this out Because what metaphor you use in your mind determines so much of how you feel about yourself and your business and how you show up and how effective you are at both serving people and signing clients and making money. So what if instead of thinking that whatever the magical switch is for actually making your business work, it's not that it's on or off, but you're already in the process of building it. So let's say that your belief now in your your confidence in yourself as a coach and, and in your business, right now, let's say it's like at 22%. <laughs> and you might feel like, God, that's so low. I bet when the magical switch gets flipped, you know, everything's going to sort itself out. No, but think about it. 
you might be at 23% now or 22%, but where were you last year? Maybe you were at 15% last year. Maybe you were at 5%, 0% last year. And maybe you worked really hard to get your belief up from 0 to 22. And all you have to do is to keep the momentum up. What if if you keep going, you can build that belief to 30, 40, 50, and then 70 and 90%. Just month after month, you get better at building beliefs. So even if it took you, let's say, a whole year to to create a 20% increase in your belief, maybe the momentum is building up and you could keep creating even more belief in shorter, shorter timelines. And when I look back on my mindset journey and how my thinking and my beliefs have evolved, there were there was very little that felt like a binary switch and I just turned it on and everything was bright and perfect, right? It was very much like, a scale. It was very much like going up a mountain. Okay, that sounds kind of like an arduous metaphor. So maybe I'm not going to say that. Um, it's oh, uh, one of my coaching colleagues describes it as a a tower that you build brick by brick. You are laying the brick of mindset and of your self belief. And I don't know, maybe you're a little bit of a statistics or data nerd like I am, but you know how if you look at a lot of graphs, we often imagine that the graph, um, what our growth looks like, especially in our in terms of our mindset and in terms of our confidence, in terms of our courage, in terms of our skill, we think it looks like a straight line going up, right? Because we think our growth is linear. But as I look back on my own beliefs, right, it was rarely a straight line. It was this jagged, up and down, crazy, squiggly thing (laughs) that on the whole, it definitely trended upwards, but it was like a whole mess of a squiggly graph and not nothing like a neat, you know, straight line going up. So Again, if I were to bring this back to what I, the question that I was actually trying to answer, which is when or how did you know that a switch had been flipped in terms of mindset? I guess the simplest way to answer that is that there was no magic moment when a switch had been flipped, but I kept going and I kept working on strengthening my belief in myself and strengthening my, my skill and strengthening my belief in what I can create with my business. Um, by continuing to examine my thoughts and the th- the results that I was creating with my thoughts, and con- and this is probably the most important variable out of all of the mindset stuff, is learning how to take responsibility for the results that I was having in my life and in my business. That is probably the most important thing because being able to take responsibility means that you can understand how you contributed to a situation, how you created a situation, what part you played in it, being able to examine that and being able to take responsibility, not from a place of like pointing fingers and blaming yourself. Oh, like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You did that wrong. You were so stupid. Not like that, but in 
the perspective of what I call the curious, compassionate scientist. If I assume that nothing has gone wrong and I'm just studying my own process so that I could get, get, gain greater insight into how I create my results, if everything was value neutral, right? No one thing is better than the other. How did I create this result? And how can I learn from it? Because here are the very subtle ways that not taking responsibility responsibility looks like. When people say, I just keep writing post after post after post, and I'm just like not getting any consults. That is one way where a lot of people don't take responsibility. They are speaking as if the power to create consults is outside of their hands and they're doing everything they can and somehow it's just not happening and it's out of their hands. If you believed that it was actually not out of your own hands, that you hadn't done everything, that you were responsible somehow for creating the result of zero consults, either with what you did or what you didn't do, then you come at this problem-solving task with a totally different set of eyes, with a totally different set of questions, right? Another way that people don't take responsibility is that they are frustrated about about the state of their progress. They feel like it's not enough. I should have achieved more. I haven't created as much as I wanted to. This isn't, the results I have are not good enough. This is another subtle way of relinquishing responsibility. And one really important way this is true is that people don't take responsibility, don't take full responsibility for the progress that they have made, the results they have created, the wins that they have enjoyed, that they should enjoy, right? What happens a lot of time when people say, oh, well, I what I did so far isn't good enough. It's not happening fast enough. Like rarely is it the case that they're fully taking responsibility for, they're fully taking the time to understand how they created, how they were responsible for creating the good stuff that that happened. For example, let's say you did or you planned a webinar and you wanted to get 50 people, but you only got 12 people, right? A lot of people will look at that result and say, you know, it, this was, this was not good enough. And they will be frustrated and they will blame themselves or they will blame some other external circumstance and they will be in powerlessness, lack of responsibility about it. But when they say that wasn't good enough, they're not fully owning the result. They're not fully owning how it is that they did manage to get 12 human beings signed up in the first place. You know, it might be tempting to say, oh, well, but that's nothing. But I always managed to get that amount or it was lower than what I got last time. But do you know exactly what it is about what you're doing that is able to win the trust of 12 people? Are you actually conscious about what you are doing right? Because a lot of the times what happens is that when you are not conscious of what you're doing right, in other words, when you're not taking responsibility for the things that you are already succeeding in, the areas where where you are already getting the results that you want, when you don't know exactly how you created that, you feel powerless to create it again. So you keep going down the rabbit hole thinking, I don't know how to do this. I'm not getting the results I want. 
and you forget what you know about winning the trust and respect of 12 people in the first place. So whatever good you already know how to do, it becomes weaker and it becomes less when you don't take responsibility for it. And when you do take responsibility for it, how did I get to these 12 people, right? And when you really probe that question, you will realize that there are things that you are doing that are already working that you weren't born knowing how to do that you learned how to do just because you are comfortable now it doesn't mean that there is no process behind it there was no effort or intention behind it right and so for the new set of skill you want to learn let's say you want to have 50 people show up to your webinars consistently then you take the same kind of same sense of responsibility like okay i figured out how to get 12 people now all i have to do is figure out how to get 50 people and because it is all up to my belief and my confidence and my willingness to try things and my mindset if i'm not getting the result it must mean that my work isn't over okay what's the next part of my work that is the way that somebody who is doing the work on their mindset thinks. Someone is not who is not actively doing the work on their mindset just gets frustrated and they're not willing to take responsibility for either their success or their quote-unquote failures. So that's a really, really long-winded way of saying that over the past year, as I learned how to make more and more money, and you know, as I went from making very little money to making lots and lots of money, the biggest change in my mindset was not the on and off uh, switch flip, but it was continuously, not linearly, not in a predictable, neat fashion, but nonetheless, continuously being in the process of learning how to take more and more responsibility in the spirit of being that curious, compassionate scientists, you are just a few tweaks away. You're just a few experiments away from really making it work. That's another one of the beliefs that I always have. Okay, not always. <laughs> I, de I developed it for myself pretty recently. Like I'm always just a few tweaks away. And that belief puts me in the mindset of always being curious. Because if I think to myself, oh God, I'm so far, that makes me feel kind of powerless. It's kind of defeating, deflating, you know? Oh God, so many steps away. It's so far across the horizon. I tell myself my next breakthrough is just a couple of tweaks away. And it always puts me in a mood to want to take more responsibility. And that is always a good thing. The second question I want to answer is, <laughs> kind of makes me laugh. Somebody asked, do you ever struggle with being so open and generous with your content. Um, I rarely struggle with being so open and generous with my content because this wasn't a strategic decision. It's just how I am <laughs> being kind of an open book and being very generous. And so it makes me happy to be this way. And I really see my business as my, you know, one of the most important expressions of my creativity. So I have to say, no, I don't struggle with it. And to be very sure, not everybody has to be, you know, open and generous. I mean, I think openness and generosity as qualities, as sort of like spiritual qualities are very good, 
you know, positive things to have for anybody, but it doesn't mean you have to like lay your life bare. It doesn't mean you have to like give everything away. That is not the only winning strategy. It's just the one that I happen to have chosen because one, it's fun for me. And two, so many of the mentors that contributed so much to my growth, whom I looked up to so much, who were, are really role models in my growth. One of the things, you know, some of the things that I admired them for the most were how open they were and how generous they were. And I swore to myself, you know, if I'm ever in a place of leadership, that is how I want to be. And so that's what I try to be today. So right now, to make this question relevant to you, look around at the leaders that you really admire, that you consider role models, that you want to emulate. What are the qualities that they have that are the most attractive to you? Is it their generosity? Maybe it's how ambitious they are. Maybe it's how powerful they are. Or maybe it's how down to earth. There's no right answer, but you know that whatever you find the most compelling and inspiring is probably the quality in yourself that needs to um, come out the most. That's the quality that you should cultivate the most. Your inner guidance will always tell you. <laughs> and that will always be the path to your success, not what somebody else says it is. So stay tuned to that. The next question I'm going to answer is, how did you shift from, quote, this has never happened before, to, this is totally happening? Okay, I first read this question and my first reaction honestly was like, um, I don't remember that shift ever. <laughs> I think that people think, and I used to think this too, that there comes a magic moment when you know that it's happening and then it's like, woo, it's happening. But honestly, really, I think, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was working really hard and everything, but when I, I remember when I had my first five-figure month, I was like, what just happened? And I was kind of looking at it. I was like incredulous a little bit. I couldn't believe it. Like, what? Huh? And then my mind took so long to catch up with the success that, I, that actually just happened literally in front of my eyes. And if I'm being really, really honest, I think I struggled with it a lot. And I think the actual real belief, the real acceptance of my success happened several months after. Several months after I had hit my goal of my first five-figure month. So not being able to accept or believe that you really created your success looks like, like knowing that you literally created it and feeling like a total imposter, like I didn't really do that. I tricked everybody. <laughs> and also feeling like, oh, that totally happened as a fluke and it's never going to happen again. Now, this is you know, since this was not meant to happen and I didn't believe this was going to happen, but it did happen, clearly it's never going to happen again. That was the, as good as it was ever going to get for me and it's all downhill from here. These are literally the thoughts that I had over and over for a good few months after my first five-figure month. And I have to tell you guys, it was really hard. I had so much imposter syndrome I had so much fear that that was going to be like the highlight of my business, the highlight of my life. And I'm never going to make that much money, money again. This is after my very first five-figure month. 
and it felt awful. So I didn't even believe it. I didn't even believe that I that it was real and that I had earned it, that it was totally happening even after it happened. I wish I could I wish I could tell you guys a different story of how aligned I felt and how da 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 and I had no imposter syndrome, but that's just not true. I had so much of it. And I experienced it in different ways after that because I had different successes, right? Like, oh, there's my first five-figure month and then there's my first multiple five-figure month and then my first six-figure year and then my first six-figure launch and all of these things, they would happen and then I would experience that familiar cycle of emotions and thoughts again where I just struggle to keep up with Like my mind is still in so much scarcity and insecurity. It's like, wait, what? (laughs) And clearly, clearly that was a fluke or it's never going to happen again. Or, you know, I just duped everybody into it and I'm not really deserving. I didn't really create it. That was an accident, like all these things. And now the rate at which I cycle through these emotions and thoughts is a lot shorter than they used to be. And, but it's not months anymore. It's maybe like weeks or even days, but it's something that happens, you guys. I think that having amazing belief in yourself is something that is that happens a lot less than people think. You know, I have friends with a lot of co- um, colleagues, a lot of life coaches who earn very good livings. And I have to tell you, being one of them myself and looking at around looking around at my colleagues who earn very good livings our brains they're not that different from everybody else's brains yeah we manage our mind better but not like it doesn't mean that we don't experience a lot of the same doubt and drama and fears it's really not the case and i think it holds people back to think that at some point they'll stop feeling human (laughs) stop or at least they think that oh when I um can believe that this is happening more I won't like my fears and insecurities won't feel so real and debilitating maybe they'll feel more manageable but I gotta tell you my fears you know now that I've made almost four hundred thousand dollars in 12 months, when I'm in the middle of my fear, it's it feels just as terrifying and paralyzing and hopeless and scary and all these things as before. Sure, I don't end up there in in the like the deepest depths of it as often. And I have way, way better tools to kind of allow myself to be there and to move through my emotions and allow my emotions. And I just feel a lot more um What's the best way to say it? Like, I feel like a much wiser steward of my own mind. But being that most definitely involves um, sort of availing myself to the experience of a lot of fear and paralysis and helplessness and all of that. And I think that is true at any level of success. So again, that's my long-winded way of answering this question of how did you shift from this has never happened before to this is totally happening? Like that's it's not one flip that and and it and it's just flipped that it just stays that way forever. It's that you just cycle in and out. Why? Cause your ass is human, like my ass is human.
All right. Next question. What practices did you do or do you have for receiving this new level of income? AKA, how did you expand your capacity for receiving? Oh man, I love this question. I think I answered a big part of it in the previous question. So long story short, I had a lot of trouble with this. (laughs) And you might feel like, oh, that's a luxury problem to have. I wish I had those problems, but um, it was really real. And having this, um, like expanding your capacity for having is a really real thing that holds a lot of people back. It's kind of like, One of the obvious examples is somebody who keeps dating assholes and because that's just their pattern and they say to themselves and they really mean it when they say, I just want to date somebody nice. I want to, I want to date somebody who treats me nicely. But then the minute a a guy comes along and treats them with respect and, you know, is a decent gentleman, they immediately freak out and try to break up with them as soon as possible. (laughs) So this is one sort of, you know, common example of, our capacity to have what we want and the, the, the necessity of working on that. And like I just said, I freaked out a lot after getting the thing that I finally thought I wanted, you know, having the business success that I dreamt of and it was awful. And I was simply not able to just have it in so many ways, um, for what felt like a long period of time. And to that, there were two podcast episodes that really, really, you know, planted the seeds of like how to think about this in my own brain. And one of them was um, an episode titled The Capacity to Have by Brooke Castillo in the Life Coach School podcast. Um, and the other epi- uh, podcast episode that I listened to over and over about this was is an episode called Success Intolerance by my coach and mentor, Stacey Bayman. And if, if you want to work on this for your own self, I highly, highly recommend that you listen to these two episodes, The Capacity to Have by Brooke Castillo, the Life Coach School podcast, and Success Intolerance by Stacey Bayman, the Make Money as a Life Coach um, podcast. So there these episodes talk a lot about the things that I'm alluding to about how to, how to really let yourself have the thing that you wanted once you have it and how to not fuck it up <laughs> essentially. And there is one mantra in particular that I recited to myself over and over in various points where I was dealing with this fear. And that sentence was, I am learning how to trust the good in my life. And this sentence did wonders for me because sometimes, some of the times when the fear of having, the fear of losing what I had, the imposter syndrome, the, you know, the, the, the floor is going to um, drop out from under me, that when the other shoe's going to drop, it's never going to be as good as this. And it's all downhill from here. Like all of these thoughts would come up the most acutely when I was on like a wonderful vacation. When something, when I was in the middle of experiencing something so beautiful and this panic and primal fear would hit, like everything's about to get so much worse. I don't know if you can relate to this, but somehow it comes up, it came up for me a lot when I was on vacation. I remember I was standing at a beautiful beach in Vietnam 
this tropical paradise when I was on my honeymoon with the love of my life, whom I had just married, and I had this terror come over me that something terrible was going to happen, that people aren't allowed to be this happy. I'm here I am vacationing with the money that I earned, with the love of my life, being so happy, having everything I need, having only good things to look forward to. And my brain was like, this cannot be right. I was so scared. I felt like I was in my own private hell in the middle of this paradise. And in that moment, man, I'm getting pretty emotional thinking about this. In that moment, the sentence, this mantra saved me. It was, I am learning how to trust the good in my life. And I loved the neutrality of that sentence. I'm not trying to tell myself I trust the good in my life because obviously I was having trouble. So I was simply reminding myself I am learning how to trust the good. I am learning to create more space for it, how to allow, how to tolerate a little bit more abundance at a time. This is what I'm doing with my with um, the part of the journey that I'm in. I'm learning how to trust the good. I'm learning how to tolerate more good every day. And I really, if you struggle with this kind of thing too, if you identify with what I'm talking about, I highly recommend this or some variation of it for your own practice. Basically acknowledging that our human brains have a really hard time with having what we want, with just allowing happiness, especially when we live so much of our lives in fear mode. And just reminding yourself that it's okay to be in the learning. It's okay to be in the process. It's okay to be kind of bad at it, but also acknowledge that you can and you are getting better at it the moment you put some loving, compassionate awareness onto what's going on. Well, that was kind of intense. So I'm going to say the last question here, and it's going to be funny. It's going to crack me up. Somebody asked me, what did you do with the money? (laughs) I love that question. I always ask, I always wonder about that too. It's like, what do people who make a lot of money do with all their money? Okay, so um, I have shared about this before, but I spent not quite a half, but maybe about a third of it on coaching. On on the one-on-one coaches that I have had for my mindset, for various aspects of my business. Um, and I went to coaching school with, with some of that money. And what am I forgetting? I actually have very low overhead. I have low um, expenses other than coaching and getting coaching training because I all of my marketing is organic and I don't spend any money on ads yet. And, you know, I don't have a VA. I don't pay. I don't have to pay anybody anything except because I do everything myself, except for the services that I use like um, like Zoom and PayPal and and my email service provider ConvertKit and stuff like that. And so I was, I mean, aside from like taxes, I was able to keep a lot of that money. Um, So about a third of it I spent on coaching and another third of it I spent just on my life. And 
I want to say, and like I had a lot of expenses in the past 12 months because I got married and, you know, moving to a new house, everything. And in retrospect, I would have done it a little bit differently because I basically had no plan. I had no structure for how I, how I wanted to spend my money, what I wanted to do with my money. And so it was just kind of like I spent things on whatever <laughs> and haphazardly. Like I didn't wildly overspend, but I also, it was very haphazard. And so I think um, going forward, I started working with a bookkeeper to um, just recently to keep better track of my money and to have a have more of a structure in place so that I can keep better track of cash flow and um, basically run my business like I am the actual CEO of it rather than a freelancer. So that's kind of how I spent my money. Um, and the rest of it, I have saved. And for, you know, expenses that I'm going to have in the future, including more coaching, more coaching training, investing it, a lot of it back into my business, because that is a big priority for me right now and will be for a good while, I imagine. So I can't wait to see what is in store for me in the next 12 months, what I'm going to create. And I hope that you are also having, you know, creating and committing to big dreams, big ambitions for yourself and really blowing your mind with what's possible because so much is possible for you to achieve, even if you have to manage your mind around all of your success. <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. <laughs>